You're listening to I Love This, You Should Too with Samantha Hees and Indy Randawa. That was pretty close. <laughs> no, you so, said yum yum burrito yum. At every cheer event, you guys eat burritos then? No, we just sing that. But there's no burritos involved? No, there's like arm motions that go with it. Huh. All right. Well, welcome to <laughs> oh, I hello. Love This, You Should Too. My name is Indy, the Blade Runner Randawa. <laughs> and with me is Samantha Nexus 6. He's. Oh. Or are we both replicants? Or are neither of us? Who knows? What is humanity? How what can is... you even be sure? Oh. These questions and more in today's episode of I Love This. You should too. <laughs> All right. So, um, how's it going, Sam? It's good. It's good. You never call me Sam. That's weird. <laughs> I do often. And half the time I do it, you always go, why are you calling me Sam? <laughs> I've done it on this podcast, actually. Really? And you don't mention it then. So. Oh. I almost always call you Sam. It's like you never joke on the podcast. That's true, because everyone who knows me knows I'm a deadly serious person. And that's what around. I love about you. Yeah. It's just how deadpan and like. You know the funniest thing funny about Indy? There's nothing funny about <laughs> Indy. <laughs> it's true. It's right. true. Oh, and I'm doing fine too, by the way. Oh, Thanks. How Thanks are for you asking. Doing? I'm full of burritos. Hey, burrito. Yeah. <laughs> we sang that all the way home. Yeah, we ate burritos and there's a burrito cheer song. But this was a long preamble. This was. I'm we sorry, should, um, guys. Let's get to the movie. We should get to it. And um, before we do, there's always one thing we do before that. Ooh. We're going to crack open a nice beer. Uh, today we are having Winter in a Tree Well. It was a winter one. It's a Belgian ale from Red Racer. Let's see how it is. Mm, riveting podcasting so far. Yeah. Oh, like, it's quite tasty, though. Glad I tuned in to listen to the host drink beer. Yeah, and sing burrito songs. <laughs> Thanks, friends. <laughs> yeah, it's been like been like five minutes already. But, so last episode, I was talking about a film that I loved, or at least I thought I loved because I haven't watched it in so long, called Blade Runner. Blade Runner. And now, Samantha, you've seen it as well. So let's start off with... Did you like Blade Runner? I have mixed feelings about Blade Runner. Um, <laughs> That's her way of saying I hate it. <laughs> I didn't hate it. I, I thought it was very interesting. And I think it comes up with some really good, like, not just moral issues, but like really interesting things about the future that mm-hmm. like people people should be talking about. And I'm sure they are. Um, but uh, I don't know. So I, do you think it's more like a concept over actual movie yeah a lot of people feel that way and i i get it i of course i disagree but no i get it i like the concept of it i think that like the idea of if you haven't seen the movie stop watch it and then come back yeah all all of these it's like all spoilers all the time all spoilers all the time so i think the idea of 
there being like robots mm-hmm. that are like s- slowly trying to take over the world and that kind of thing is something that's like really common this year in 2019 which is when the movie was set and I yeah. got really excited when I saw that on the screen. I think you had told me that, but... It was in the trailer, I believe. I think so. Okay, yeah. there we go. Yeah, so I feel like I knew it, but I got kind of excited when I thought... When I saw it was November 2019, and I'm like, that's like our three-year anniversary. Yeah, it's coming up right away. <laughs> it's um, it's it's interesting to see that kind of thing um, and how they thought the future was going to be. Yeah. But at the same time, I think I don't enjoy movies that are really dark all the time. Like literally dark or subject matter dark like literally dark okay (laughs) i like a little like setting like different settings of my lights and stuff because i find it really hard to watch something really dark Uh all the time and not get kind of sleepy or like you said halfway through when we paused that you were sure that it was like rainy and gloomy out yeah yeah and i credit the movie with that because mm-hmm. it's it was so dark and so rainy in blade runner that i felt that in a very literal way like yeah. i thought it's raining outside <laughs> but so you're mixed on it but what was what's your favorite part of blade runner i really liked all of rachel's clothes rachel's clothes <laughs> she has some big was, um, like, big dramatic collars big collars in the first scene when she meets deckard deckard has that big collar and she's like yeah. you, you you think you got something there i got this. <laughs> let me show you what's up and then she comes with those giant collars and her, her giant like her really shoulders long pencil skirt and everything yeah. i liked i liked her whole style it was very retro at the same time as being like supposed to be futuristic yeah and i think that could be said for the, the movie as a whole it's, oh, 100%. it's very 80s it's very 50s and it's very futuristic all of the same time mm-hmm. uh, a friend of mine i had a uh, dress as your favorite movie character party at my house long long ago and oh. she came as rachel and had like real good shoulder like shoulder stuff going on did in her she dress. do the hair too? yeah she did the hair i really liked her hair too yeah. i think i'm just i'm a rachel fan yeah it's very understandable yeah i think i we do this like what's your favorite part i don't know what my favorite part of blade runner is could you say visuals could that be one's favorite part the blending of different influences <laughs> sure i don't know i um i love how blade runner looks uh it was I, a very visually nice movie yeah and i think it it holds up there's things about it that look very 80s which is true because mm-hmm. it's from the 80s but it doesn't feel dated as if it's from the 80s because it's a, it's of a different time altogether right. than the 2000s or the 80s it's just something different and i, I really like that so then what is your least favorite part of the movie? Um, I found it a little graphic. Like when, what's his name? Roy, which is like the worst name for a villain ever. Like Rutger Howard. His real Roy. name is Rutger Howard, See, which is a way better villain name. Way better like than Roy Batty. Way better villain That's name. That's true. Yeah. Um, so when Roy presses out the... Um, oh, the Terrell guy. The Terrell guy, Dr. Terrell or whatever his name yeah. is. His eyes. Yeah. I had to look away. I saw that. I thought you were just like checking your phone or something, but it's like, oh no, I think I think this head crushing is uh, is getting to Sam. Yeah. The only time I checked my phone after the first time when you called me on it. <laughs> after the first time I checked my phone. The only was time. when I was getting a phone call. Yeah. And my watch was going and my phone was going and That's I got very true. distracted. But um there were a couple of things like when he breaks Harrison Ford's fingers. Yeah, and I'll give like you the couple, fingers. Like, there's a couple things that are like unnecessarily gory. 
Mm-hmm. Like, it's just not necessary for it to be that gross. Um, and I have a really hard time with, like, visual violence. Hmm. I think in a movie, I I don't like it. And I don't like, like, any of those, like, ancient Greece or, like, Rome kind of movies where they, like, whip people and there's, like, a lot of, like, gory violence oh, like and that kind of thing. Oh, like your Passion of the Christ and that kind See, of thing. I just can't do it. Yeah. I just can't do it. I've tried. There's, like, many TV shows that are, like period pieces and they should be like really interesting to me because i love a good period piece but i just can't do the unnecessary violence it's funny if you told me blade runner i wouldn't i would tell people that there isn't any violence really in the movie because i didn't even think about that uh, that head crushing scene as being particularly violent but yep he does put his thumbs right Mm -hmm. into his eyes so yeah yeah absolutely i kind of forgot about that scene honestly Mm -hmm. for my least favorite I thought I knew what my least favorite part was going into it. And we're going to talk about it later. Okay. But now I look at that scene in a different way and it's no longer my least favorite. So when did you first see this movie? I saw it as like a maybe 16 year old. Okay. So you didn't care for it. You would have seen it in a different light back then, right? And then I saw it again when I was in university kind of studying film in my like 10 years ago though right. so i've only seen it twice and the most recent time was 10 years ago so okay it's been a while i feel like as you age though it's like you're gonna be interested in different things in the film yeah definitely yeah so seeing it differently isn't kind of unusual no so tell me about the different versions of this movie because i know there's quite a few yeah we watched the final cut in the uh the preamble episode to this we talked about it a little bit but the original theatrical version was different in quite a few ways. So first, there's a constant voiceover throughout it. So Harrison Ford talks about what he's doing through voiceover. Uh, and this was done because originally it um, the movie didn't do well. Uh, test audiences did not like it. They didn't understand what was going on. It was too slow. So they put in Harrison Ford doing this voiceover, essentially explaining the whole movie as he goes. And it's not great. I've never watched that version fully, but I've seen clips and I've listened to some of the voiceover. And there's a legend that Harrison Ford hated doing this so much, he purposely did a really bad job. And so it made it easier for them to cut that part. Oh. And if you listen to it, yeah, he's doing a pretty bad job. Although I think you could argue a lot of Harrison Ford in this movie is very robotic. (laughs) <laughs> oh, but he's maybe the human. <laughs> maybe unintentionally. But. Yeah, I um, I don't think of Harrison Ford as like a really good actor. But I do think of him as having like a, just natural charisma. I guess. Yeah, I know. Like in Star Wars. Yeah. And I feel like Star Wars is like really the only other thing I know him in. Yeah. Han Solo and then as an old man doing all the other stuff. And that's the, that's the other thing. Yeah. I know him as an old man. And I think... I don't know, maybe it works that he's kind of a, like a blank canvas character in this, that he, he doesn't have a lot of charisma because, as we'll probably talk about later, I don't think, I don't necessarily think we're supposed to be on his side. I no. don't think he should win us over. No, I don't think so. I think he's gritty and he's good at his job and yeah. they allow him to get away with the things that he does because because he's good at his job and he doesn't like ever let the police force, they're the police, right? The people who call him in at the beginning of the movie. Yes, yeah. So he works, like, he's a kind of a special division of the police, kind the of. Blade Runners. Yes. Yeah, Blade Runner isn't something that's actually from the book. I hear that they bought the rights to a different book that had the term Blade Runner in it, just so he could use 
Blade Runner. It's a cool... It doesn't make any sense, but it sounds no, cool. No, it's like nonsensical, but it sounds cool. Yeah. If you're like, oh, I'm a Blade Runner. And uh, the other part uh, that test audiences did not like about the first version is uh, the ending. The ending we see, which is not happy. It's kind of open-ended. Yeah. But they didn't like that. They want a happy ending. So there's there was a scene where... Rachel and Deckard just kind of like walk off into some green rolling hills together. And you're like, oh, now they're in love. Which really? doesn't work. See, I liked the ending that we saw. Yes. yeah. Where he comes in and he thinks she's dead because the other guy, he like powered down. Yeah, he, he died. Like, he died, yeah. but he like powered down. Yeah, because they, the, they have a set lifespan. Yeah, yeah. So, and then I think he thought that she would be powered down. Right. And so he came in and he's like, Rachel, Rachel, and he's freaking out. You can like feel the kind of the panic, and he does a good job in that scene, I think. And um, she's just curled up under the blankets, sleeping like like a normal, normal robot. Do robots sleep? Do androids dream of electric sheep? (laughs) There we go. Um, So she wakes up, and he's like, "Do you love me? Do you trust me?" And then they like run off into the elevator into the night. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I kind of like that ending. Yeah. Because it, it's open-ended as well. Yeah. But um, they also, they also throw in that threat from the other police guy being like... Edward James almost. It's too bad she won't live, but none of us do. Yeah. Oh, I got things to say about that. But let's... Um... <laughs> I enjoyed that line. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was a Me good too. line. <laughs> They're just... I don't know. Uh, watching it... I was worried that it would be too slow for you. And then when I watched, I was like, no, it's not slow at all. But I still think maybe it was a little slow for you. Um, I don't think it was slow as much as it was um, just not my style. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to talk a little bit about like the opening of the movie. Like the opening scroll? Yeah, so the beginning, so let's talk about slow. There's like nine minutes of just black screen with white writing with credits. And then it had the like the scrolly like setting of the scene and everything. Mm -hmm. Um, I found a lot of this movie reminded me of Star Wars. Well, I guess that was definitely the biggest science fiction movie at the time. Star Wars, the first one coming out in 78, 79. Yeah. Anyways, right around there. And this is right on the heels of that. And plus you got Harrison Ford in it. So there was like the scrolly bit and like that reminded me. And then some of the some of the sets in the city really reminded me of Star Wars. So like the bar and like some of the some of the way that they were dressed and there's a couple of things that reminded me of Star Wars, but there were also a couple of things. um, So the office of Terrell reminded me of Game of Thrones. I cannot speak on that as I have not seen, (laughs) I have not seen a single episode of Game of Thrones. Um, So there's this like really beautifully structured castle Uh in the capital city, which is where like the main royalty lives. Yeah. Um, I'm doing a really bad job of explaining this because I'm trying not to ruin it for him. <laughs> he's going to watch it. Um, so there's, it's just lots of light and lots of these like naturally lit rooms. Yeah, I think like I always look at it and see that it took a lot from. I feel like we could call all of my movies like the road to Weimar because I always talk about how it's all comes from different German expressionist mm-hmm. movies. Uh, but there was a lot of like Fritz Lang ones where he had these these kind of like grand offices of uh, of bureaucrats and stuff that look like that. Also, I think the 
the movie Metropolis influences mm-hmm. this movie a lot. Right. And film noir in general, which also draws its roots from, from Weimar cinema. The sets were great. I know, like you were saying about uh, Star Wars. Yeah. So apparently, I didn't see it. I don't know where it's supposed to be. But in one of the sets, you can see the Millennium Falcon. Yeah, they put it. So in. that was the other thing. I thought a lot of the vehicles really reminded me of things from Star Wars, like mm-hmm. the flying. And I guess maybe it's just because it's like kind of the standard of like well, flying vehicles. Yeah, and they were the two kind of uh, retro future movies. Yes, because Star Wars had it's of course a long, long time ago, yes. but it's uh, in a galaxy very far, far futuristic. Away. <laughs> yes, yet you still. Kind of looks like Nebraska at times. Yeah, and, and like the mountains. and Yeah. And uh, the sets in this, a lot of those ones that, when we, we talked a little bit during the movie, not much, but you liked how a lot of them looked, those are done by, they're done practically. So mm-hmm. those are built miniatures oh. rather than... So like all the seat- cityscapes and everything? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Cool. I, um... I really enjoyed how much fire they use. Like the future is just going to be full of like buildings giving off fire at the top. <laughs> yeah, but then if you go around to uh, like industrial parts of Alberta, yeah, it looks it's like true. that. So. Yeah, there's quite a few like smokestacks that are burning off like fuel and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. So can we talk about the creepy mustache guy? Edward James almost. Yeah. Does he kind of have like a pockmarked face? Yeah. So he's uh, gone on to do quite a bit of stuff. A lot a of bow tie. <laughs> us might know him as um, Adama from uh, Battlestar Galactica because he's, he's, but yeah, long, years ago he was, I can't remember what the character's actual name is. Like Me neither. I feel Graf like or something like that. Yeah. I never really like heard it, heard it. Sure. It wasn't Roy. I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> what do you want to talk about? I just found him creepy. Yeah, he's creepy. And I think that was the point, so like, uh-huh. good job. Yeah. But um, I think it was very it was very hard to get a feel for what the point of him was. Because oh. he, like, came out and was just like, good job, and, like, can I, way to do your job. Can I ask to table this until later, because I have some thoughts on that? Yes, of course. Okay, that'll come out later. Excellent. <laughs> Let's come back to it. The movie starts after, yeah, that long scroll. Yes. There's uh, the interview with Leon. Yes, the interview with Leon. I like that scene quite a bit. That actor, I haven't seen him in much, but he was in The Fifth Element, and he is, he's so distinct. But when I was watching him being interviewed, and him like not knowing what a tortoise is and getting distracted by certain things, yeah, I don't know why. Like I know where the scene's going, because I'd already seen it, but I feel so sad for him. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of... Um, There's all sorts of tapes where they get bad confessions out of people who don't have the mental capacity to deal with interrogators. That's what I was thinking of when I saw him. Was like I felt like this man just doesn't have like yeah the the intellect or like the IQ to be able to like Brendan Dassey on uh, (laughs) on uh, making a murderer. (laughs) Yeah, so it's like I'm sorry if you press someone who is in like a lowered mental state. Yeah enough they're gonna get confused and they're gonna start repeating the stuff that you say and they're gonna like basically say what you want so that they get out of the situation where they're panicking and i think that goes for pretty much anybody yeah i mean you hear about all these like eight hour long like interrogations i'm sure i could be convinced to say some things after i feel like if i haven't been allowed to like go to the washroom or have a drink of water or like sleep or eat or anything 
I'm probably going to, like, break at some point and either fall asleep, which is my my move, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or I'm going to just tell you what you want to hear so that I can go back to whatever uncomfortable metal bed is waiting for me and lay down and have some water and, you know, have a wash and break and do all that. But instead... He, uh, he's a replicant who wants to kill. So he, I love the line, like, <laughs> let me tell you about my mother. And then he just shoots Yeah, him. I liked that. Because yeah. I was, I was getting to the point where I was like, oh, no, he's a, he's a replicant. I was thinking, yeah, no, this makes sense that he would be a replicant. We're starting the movie with that. So we yeah. get, like, kind of context. And, uh, as soon as the question, like, tell me the good feelings that come up from this. Right. And I was like, and then he was like, tell me about your mother. And I was like, "Oh, this is it! This is it! <laughs> he's gonna, he's gonna do something. He's gonna attack him, or he's gonna, his head's gonna explode. Yeah. One of the two. And he attacked and him. The other guy's head exploded because they shot him in it. Boom! I don't know if he actually shot him in the head. They shot him. I found the idea of implant memories really interesting. Yeah. Um. So. I think it's kind of a neat idea. I was thinking about it as we were watching the movie, and I was thinking about it after. And um, I think it's really interesting. As, like, a way to control robots. Because, mm-hmm. like, if they know they're robots, do they get more misbehaved? Or do they, like, <laughs> misbehave might be the wrong word. But, or do they sort of learn how to be more human if they know that they're not human? Whereas Rachel, Rachel? Rachel. Rachel. I don't know why I can't keep her name in my head. Um, whereas Rachel is very um, very human-like because she has these background memories. Yeah. Well, that's kind of um, what the Matrix posits too, right? Mm-hmm. The idea of, well, give them memories and then they'll be nice and docile and just yeah. go to work every day. Because they think that they're they're normal and they're, you know, until whatever wakes them up. And, and then suddenly they're just this, like, being... Yeah, because you'd think if we have true artificial intelligence one day, it'd probably be easier to get a uh, robot who's making cars to come to work on time and be productive if he has memories of a family he's trying to go home and feed, and that's why he's doing this, rather than... mom, and yeah. Yeah. I I found that very interesting, and I, I totally agree with the idea that, yeah, you'd totally be more, like, pliant and like accepting yeah if you're if you're you have this background story that you believe is real because rachel's background story was tyrell's niece yes so it's like until someone tells you it's not real it's gonna be real to you and it's gonna be really interesting to you and you're just gonna be like yeah this is my life i grew up i did this i did that even though you've only been alive for like a year we could just get really philosophical and talk about like, well, what is what is free will? What is free will? <laughs> or how can we distinguish it from the illusion of free will? Mm-hmm. So if you give a robot, or in this case, Rachel, the uh, the illusion of free will, the illusion of memories, does she have free will? Or is she doing what she was programmed to do because of those memories? Mm-hmm. Are we doing what we were programmed to do because of our memories? Is it free will or are we just, is it fatalism? Nature versus nurture. Oh, my goodness. Oh, man. What a smart movie. <laughs> this also is for our robots. other podcast, Psychology Time. Oh, yeah. With Indian Sam. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it's not a great podcast. <laughs> it's very boring. Neither of us are psychologists, so it's, uh, it's just wild theories. 
Did you like all the stuff about eyes in the movie? I find eyes very gross. Yeah, eyes are gross. The, the extent that I like my eyes, too, is, like, putting mascara on my eyelashes and putting in contacts, and that's it. I really dislike taking out contacts. Because you feel like you're going to peel off a layer of your eyeball? Like, oh, I have pinched the jelly of my eye before. Yeah. It is horrific. Yeah, it's not the worst. <laughs> eyes are always a really easy symbol to go mm-hmm. to. The whole eyes are the window to the soul and all of that and the eyes are what distinguish a lot of the replicants yes do you notice that that? like that red shine they have like kind of like reflective yeah they have like a red glare in their eyes at certain points so you can see it with all of the replicants also what's the name edward james almost has weird eyes he has Mm -hmm. weird contacts in but it's a whole nother they're like husky blue yeah yeah, he's like, like a very... baby husky. Aw, a baby husky. But not as cute. No, a murderous husky. And then uh, they go to the eye maker. That part was cool. And I didn't quite get why, who was it? Um, I think Leon was just putting eyeballs on the guy. Yeah, that's creepy. That was weird. I also didn't really understand why it was so cold in his lap. Well, maybe because it's biological material in some sort, right? Yeah, but the eyeballs weren't frozen. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, everything was like caked in ice. I didn't right. really understand why he was like... Maybe it's just like a butcher working in a freezer, that kind of idea. Maybe, but I feel like everything else would have frozen. I don't know. That confused me. That confused me quite a bit. And and then I moved on and was grossed out by all the eyes. Yeah. And I think Roy more than once says like, oh, if you could have seen the things I've seen. Yes. And yeah. I like all the eye talk. It was fun. <laughs> um, you know what I didn't like? Hmm. The snakes. Oh, yeah, I kind of forgot, like, what's the the dancer character? Zora? Zora. She has a she has a snake, a fake snake. A fake snake, because if I could afford a real one, would I be working here? Yeah, that's, they don't really get into that in the so movie, but like that's a, a thing in the book that there's no real animals anymore, but people have right. animal replicas. She's like a stripper. She's essentially a dancer of some sort, yeah. Okay, because they were saying, see her take pleasure from her, like, snake friend. Oh. And I, it kind of sounded like, like... That she was doing something with that snake. With that snake. Yeah. Well, luckily, we didn't have to see that part. No. And she was also, like, nude when she came back to the dressing room. Yeah. So she showered off all her rhinestones. That was probably, like, $100 worth of rhinestones. <laughs> <laughs> well, if fake snakes are affordable there, but they probably have a, a good rhinestone market. I guess. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I really did like her, um, her death scene was pretty awesome mm-hmm. it's uh she's running and she gets first of all deckard is not that great at his job because no. she's running through crowds and he's just kind of like he takes a few shots shooting through the crowd yeah. yeah like way to be dangerous yeah and then when he does shoot her there's the scene in chunking express that came to mind first because it's that character and she's wearing the blonde wig and kind of going slow motion through and hong kong in chunking express looks very much like uh like L.A. in Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. Now I'm getting sidetracked. But L.A. in Blade <laughs> Runner, that is um, kind of something they got right about the future. This kind of like blending of cultures. Yes, maybe, I found that very interesting. Yeah, maybe not in L.A., but I've been to um, Shanghai. Shanghai is similar to this. Uh-huh. Not all grimy, of course. And uh, parts of Tokyo, like I think it's Rapongi. Rapongi looks a lot like Blade Runner. I found it really interesting that they'd kind of abandoned all the old stately buildings. Yeah. And a lot of the like really basic run-of-the-mill buildings that they're kind of building now mm-hmm. are are still in use. 
Yeah, and there's so many like decrepit old buildings. Mm-hmm. And... But the um, the JF Sebastian guy lived in one of those really old like architecture like heavy buildings that right. were were very like lots of wainscoting and curly cues and like that kind of thing. And um, it was really interesting because it was like almost falling down. Yeah, and leaky and like those are the buildings that were left behind. But the new buildings were still kept. Okay, I was saying about her her death, like yes. how she's shot down and she goes through those plate glass windows. Probably a little too much slow motion, but yeah, there wasn't a lot of slow motion back then. was a little slow for me. Yeah. But I love uh, she gets shot down in front of all those mannequins, too. There's yeah. like the neon, the glass, and the mannequins. It was, it was, all, it was all really pretty. Mm-hmm. And then also Pris uh, later kind of hides among the mannequins. So it's just kind of further draws parallels between the replicants and completely inanimate objects or are they separate from them or are they amongst them and or it's like hard to tell semi-inanimate objects like in the uh oh in the creepy in the cre- uh, sebastian's, in sebastian's place, place yeah. where there was that girl dressed in like period costume who like lifted her arm and turned her head and then put it back down like it was very robotic you yeah. could kind of hear like a tick 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 as it went yeah and it's interesting that his job or at least hobby no both job and hobby is to make these kind of replicants Mm -hmm. and you get to see the full uh the full scope i guess Mm -hmm. of going from things that look like toys to things that are almost human-like to the replicants who are are very indistinguishable from humans yeah yeah i found that really interesting it was um kind of neat to see the juxtaposition of like his weird robot friends. He called them friends, right? Yeah, I think. Yeah, he said my friends. I made them all. Yeah. Um, which was really creepy, but clearly this is like a sequestered genius. Like Tyrell is keeping this man in his home so that he can like create he... stuff for them. Yeah, he's like somewhere between genius and crazy person, and also like completely incompetent. To like, I wonder if he can take care of himself mm-hmm. as well. The character, I'll try not to talk about the book too much, but he, well, in the movie too, he's suffering from some sort of degenerative condition because of, uh, right. so Earth is kind of poison at this point, and anyone who has the money is leaving. Right. So he's right. degenerating, his mental capacity is going down, he's also aging too quickly, because he says he's 25, right? Yes, but he said that my cells age at a rapid pace, which is yeah. why he was denied leaving Earth. Yeah. What's the other place that they go to? Oh, they are, it says off-world. Off-world, I think right. that means Mars. I think in the book it was Mars, but they don't specifically say, no, but it's just, another planet. They just say off-world, and then they, like, commandeered a ship, and they found it floating outside of, like, the city, and it was, yeah. So um, I found the idea of off-world really interesting, because it's another thing that, that we're talking about currently is, where will we go when we've used up the Earth? Yeah. What is habitable? And what will we be able to, like, go live on when, like, our children's children's children can no longer live here? Yeah. Or in, like, 20 years. Or in 20 years. (laughs) (laughs) Or in November. Yeah, November 2019. That's when this is all happening. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, I just found it really interesting that um, there were a lot of parallels to things that are kind of hot topics right now. Yeah, or just... At the most basic level, the, the climate change. It's L.A. and it's dark and rainy all the time. It rained constantly. Yeah. Also, everyone was constantly wet in this movie. Yeah. 
like that's just that's just your life harrison ford was like dripping at all times yeah (laughs) and not in like an attractive way i've lived in some cities where it would rain for a week at a time and i did feel like i was constantly wet so that makes me really sad I feel like another thing that I found very kind of puzzling was that you could just shoot these things. Sometimes multiple times, but you could just shoot them and they'd be dead. I felt like the replicants should take a little bit more work to kill them. Because they're they're stronger and everything, so they well, should... Well, yeah, because he's able to, like, crush that guy's skull and then smush his fingers into his eyes. I never really had much issue with that, because I feel like if you're, like, a tiny child or a... Um, big bodybuilder if you get shot in the face it's gonna be the same yeah but they're they they seem like ultra human that's the thing it's like they seem more human than human and they seem very much robotic when you think about their like mortality and their ability to like stay alive through like crazy things like not eating or do um, they not eat i only saw one of them eat once did we see people eat though I feel if you watch any movie... Harrison Ford ate something. If you watch movies in general, people don't eat unless it's a plot point or go to the bathroom. So I feel like you can't put that on being okay. a robot or not. Harrison Ford does eat noodles a few times, though. Yes. There um, was that one scene where it made me hungry because he was eating noodles. <laughs> and then he gets picked up in the car and then still has his noodles with him. See, I, I knew we should have gotten noodles instead of burritos tonight. Uh, that's a... That's a that's a win-win right there. It's noodles true. or burritos. You're, you're going to have a good time. You're going to win either way. Yeah. I feel like it should have been, like, something super special to kill them. Like, with zombies, where you can, like, shoot them and it'll, like, slow them down, but you have to cut off their heads or else they won't be, like, truly dead or, like, sever their brains. See, I liked how uh, close to human they are. I think that's a big selling point, is that they're not these monsters. They're not vampires that you have to stake or zombies that you have to shoot through the head, that they're... They're essentially people. So you like the simplicity of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that um, that makes it more harsh and hard to watch when they're just people. This is just a woman getting gunned down in the street. It's uh, it's not a monster. It's not a like a robot. I kind of hate in so many like Marvel movies, for instance, when the villains are just a horde of robots because mm-hmm. it doesn't mean anything. No. It doesn't mean anything when all these people are robots are dying. And here I felt like each death meant something. It's true. It's yeah. true. And I, I understand that. And I kind of like that they were very human. I also thought that it would make more sense for them to take like a little bit more. I'm not asking for like all dismemberment right. and like burying in separate graves. And well, like... what's her name? Uh, Zora. She got shot once, kept going, and then had to get shot a bunch more times. And then Pris... Was shot three times. Yeah, she was shot, and then she kept like kind of convulsing and had to get shot that a more time. Scary. Yeah, she, it was. She looked like a human spider. So maybe they did take some extra damage. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I stand corrected. <laughs> maybe I don't know. I didn't really pay too much attention to that part. So another thing I really liked about this, and I'm going to talk a little bit about the visuals of the movie. Yeah, I think when people talk about Blade Runner, and it's it shows because what we're talking about right now. We didn't really talk about the plot a no. whole lot. No. And it's not about the plot. It's about it's about the mood it evokes and these questions that it leaves you mm-hmm. with. I think that's that's why Blade Runner is great. So yeah, what what do you think about the visuals? Um, I really liked the idea. Um, not the idea. I really liked the 
little add-ins that the director put in. So, like, when he's sitting in his car, Harrison Ford's sitting in his car outside um, Sebastian's kind of apartment condo home thing um and he talks to the girl on the video chat thing and then she hangs up on him and then he has to pull away really quickly because there's like these scavengers pulling off parts of his car oh yeah and that That seemed very star wars like they're little jawas yeah yeah, they were tiny um it just really i liked those kind of moments where Mm -hmm. you kind of realize how unsafe the city is and how really a large portion of it is because because he can't even sit in his car and, like, do his job without people pulling parts of his car off to make money. Yeah, I feel like you get a good sense of the city. Although, in some ways you do, in some ways you don't. Like, you don't have any sense of how big the city is. It just no. goes and goes and goes. Yeah, and you just go to different neighborhoods. And yeah, you never and really you're not sure, see. are you always in... Maybe you're in the same couple blocks this whole time. Maybe, maybe you're an hour's drive away. You don't really know. It's true. But maybe that kind of leads to the, it adds to the disorienting nature of this, of this metropolis. I think that's the point, though, of the movie. Yeah. Like, I, they don't want a lot of idea of driving. They don't want to, like, create a sense of safety by his house. They it's don't just want... like everything is the city. Everything is dangerous. Everything is dark and Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, but I really like the addition of those little kind of anecdotes. So, like, the scavengers and, like... The bar and like yeah, little character pieces pulling the worm out of his mouth because his drink has worms in the bottom or like <laughs> something in the bottom that's gross. Um, none of those things had to do with the plot, but it was yeah. really interesting to kind of like it added context. Yeah, there's great world building mm-hmm. now, especially now we see dystopian future movies constantly. This I'm having a hard time remembering ones that were before this. There were some, there's like Logan's Run and Metropolis and things like that that came out before Blade Runner. But I think this is definitely one of those pioneering movies of what a dystopian future looks like. Absolutely. You have how stark and bleak things are. And now we see it in every movie that stars a 25-year-old who's pretending to be 16. They're all, they all look like that now. Yes, but, exactly. But this, yeah, this led the way in a lot of that. Archie Andrews. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? Well, he's like... 21 and he's pretending to be like 15 oh but it's not is the new season of riverdale post-apocalyptic no okay i wouldn't put it past them there that shows just whatever <laughs> I mean, they want it might be we stopped watching last season yeah. so. <laughs> i uh i find it really interesting that there was a new blade runner 2049 um it came out in like 2017 2018 um, something like that yeah so when we were talking about doing this podcast everyone was like oh is it the old blade runner or the new blade runner yeah i think we're gonna have to do a follow-up episode for the new blade runner because we haven't seen it look what's right behind you it's blade runner 2049 on dvd it's on here blade yeah, there we it have is. it Oh, it's, it's, sorry, it's to my right. Yeah. It's not right behind me. Sorry. Um, but I, uh, I'm excited to kind of see it and I'm kind of excited to see a movie that you haven't seen together. But looking at this movie as it is, Blade Runner, mm-hmm. don't you think it's odd that a sequel exists? Yes. It's such a strange choice. Like, I, I don't get it. And um, maybe it'll be great and maybe it'll be terrible, but it doesn't seem like a movie that I'd be like, oh, well, now I want to see a sequel. It's such... It stands on its own. It, it doesn't. Does. It doesn't feel like a universe that needs another like. And visiting. all the questions that are unanswered, I want to remain unanswered. I feel like it's way it's more powerful true. not it's knowing. True. I agree. 
But I do also want to do an episode after we watch 2049. Well, let's watch it and we'll talk about it on a future episode. Okay, well, I can't do it tonight. It's my bedtime. Okay. Well, then let's talk about a few other things Excellent. first. So a thing that I loved how it blended genres, which is another thing that we see all the time now, but I have a hard time thinking of, of movies that did it before Blade Runner or as well, because it's definitely a futuristic movie. Oh, absolutely. But it's uh, very much a film noir, a neo-noir. Do you know, have you seen many film noirs? Um, what do you think of when you think of a film noir? I don't know. So uh, film Give noirs were like detective movies mostly from right. the really late 30s, but mostly the 40s and 50s. Uh, they have their roots in German expressionism. A lot of those German filmmakers who made these really shadowy, angular, black and white movies, when they uh, fled during World War II, they came to the U.S. and started making detective movies and bringing the, that sort of aesthetic uh, sensibility with them. Would In Cold Blood count? Like the Truman Capote? Yeah. I've, I've never seen the movie. Oh, okay. I feel like I saw it when I was like way too young. Just like when I read the book. Um, but I uh, I remember it being very, very dark and very like what you're explaining. Yeah. So uh, visually, you would see lots of um, lots of shadows, mm-hmm. things like that. Uh, but there's a lot of thematic stuff that comes through in both uh, Blade Runner and film noirs. A lot of movies now might kind of mimic a, a genre and there isn't a reason. It's like, well, why did this need to be a musical? Why did this need to be a film noir? Why did you need the voiceover? But I think by making this kind of a film noir, it makes us think of the um, of the moral ambiguity mm-hmm. of film noir movies. So they would often have heroes who were kind of deemed the first anti-heroes in film. Right. So they were... Um, doing the wrong thing for the right reasons a lot of the time okay so like a lot Harrison of those... Ford is like shooting people and just like drinking up a storm and doing his job yeah but so... he's doing it because he's really good at his job and he like will ultimately do the right thing yeah so um like your Humphrey Bogarts and Jimmy Cagney's mm-hmm. would do that kind of thing a lot and they were they would straddle the line of um, the villains from the gangster movies of the 30s and then they started becoming the heroes but you couldn't make them too villainous so they were kind of like in the middle and that was the birth of the the anti-hero at least in film of course like if you go into literature um like Macbeth is an anti-hero right. Michael Corleone and the Godfather um who now like Deadpool Deadpool's an anti-hero yeah what about Holly Golightly I don't think I wouldn't say anti-hero I'd say um <laughs> maybe she's not a, a one-dimensional perhaps but I don't know if I'd say anti-hero. Okay. But yeah, sure, in in some ways. In some ways. Yeah. I mean, she's not leading the most wholesome lifestyle. No. I feel like I I just think about that because I've read the book. But yeah. it's it's very much she's uh, she's like a sex worker. And yeah. she, she is living her life because she does this job. And, and then she falls in love. And she's doing it for all the right reasons so that she can have like a normal life and she can see her her well we can save that for the the breakfast at tiffany's podcast (laughs) (laughs) breakfast with indian sam (laughs) but yeah i guess that's right like there aren't a lot of female anti-heroes that come to mind um what's her name in madame bovary i guess but Mm -hmm. um but anyways let's start talking about literature and other movies sorry (laughs) um no it was me more 
Uh, I think that works in this one because it it makes you question Deckard and if he is uh, what it means to be a hero, what mm-hmm. it means to be a human. But let's start with uh, the hero. Because when we're talking about Bring It On, we completely thought different people were the heroes and villains in that movie. True, true. Who are the heroes and villains in this movie to you? Um, I think Harrison Ford is meant to be the hero. Right. Um, and I think that Roy is meant to be the villain. Okay. Roy and his band of Nexus 6 people. Yeah, so I take a different look at it. I think that... Okay, so let me let me pitch you this movie. Okay. Um, there's these immigrants. They're escaped slaves. They're coming from another place. And then there's someone chasing them down and murdering them. All they want to do is live and have some sort of liberty and freedom. I see But they're being murdered for that. <laughs> see? Like, yeah, no, it's true. It's true. It's like how um, Beauty and the Beast and Super Mario games have the same plot, but from different points of view. <laughs> it's true. This one it de- just completely depends on your point of view. And um, so the scene that I was saying that it used to be my least favorite, but now I don't hate it. Yeah. Um, so what did you think of the, I don't know, do we call it a love scene between Rachel and Harrison Ford? Where he's like, tell me this, tell me that. Yeah. Yeah, I found that very uncomfortable. Because he's, I don't think we need sugarcoating. It seems like he's raping her. He, yeah, and he's like coercing her into, he's like basically grooming her into saying the right things. So that, yes. So that he can have what he wants. So I always thought like, um, I looked at that scene and I was like, it was the 80s. They thought this is okay. And I'm glad that we've come so far. Now I look at it and it's like, Oh, no, they were showing that he's a piece of garbage. Yes. Harrison Ford is treating her like a literal object because that's what he believes she she is. is, She's a robot. You don't have any agency. You're here for for my pleasure. Yeah. By having Deckard treat her that way, it shows us that Deckard is is not the hero. Yeah. And is not any better than all of these these replicants that he's going around killing. That's fair. So like I did not enjoy that scene. That was very cringy. Yeah. Cringy cringy scene and and I don't think that if I had seen this when I was younger it would have like bothered me quite as much. Mm-hmm. Um but it's very much a thing nowadays. Mm-hmm. And like good for you for understanding that like way back when, but I I think that just because it's such a like like all of these issues that they bring up, it's very much a thing right now. Yeah. Yeah, this movie is very um is very relevant today. So yeah, definitely go and watch it. But I want to take all this a little further. You could make the argument that um, that Roy is the hero of this movie. Yes. He uh, cares first for, um, for his friends. He wants them to live. Mm-hmm. And he just wants to live himself. Yes. He has a, very much a sense of, um, of what's right and wrong. He's very honorable in a lot of ways. Yes. He gives Harrison Ford the gun back so yes. so there'll be a fair fight. He saves Harrison Ford's life. He does, and then he dies. Yes. Knowing that he's about to die. Yeah. And Harrison Ford's done nothing. Harrison Ford is there to murder him, and he saves, Roy saves his life. Yes. Uh, also, there's, through, right from the beginning, we hear that these replicants, they don't have empathy. That's what separates them from humans. But when Pris dies, 
Roy Batty cries. And kisses and kisses her. Yeah. And like does all the things that a loved one would do. Yeah. Upon discovering that they're like the person that they love is dead. Almost as if you were more human than human. More human than human. <laughs> that is empathy. That yeah. is a hundred percent empathy. And I feel like that is an oversight on the like creators of the Nexus Six. Like yeah. just assuming that they don't have empathy and that four years is enough of a time where they're not going to develop anything like that. Mm-hmm. They're going to just be robots and then they're going to die and they're not going to be a problem. So I think I've kind of convinced you that <laughs> um, Deckard could be read as a villain. Absolutely. And Roy could be read as a hero. Yeah. What if... I see both sides. Yeah. And you could go the other way, of course. Too. Absolutely, absolutely. But... There's not a lot of separation there. No, there isn't. But what if I told you that many people believe that Deckard is a replicant? Oh, like he's like implanted and trained to to do this so well? Yeah. I can see that. Okay, so this is definitely a thing. This is not my uh, my theory. People mm. have been talking about this. And uh, let me walk you through a few things about why he could be uh, a replicant. So first of all, we know that the empathy thing isn't necessarily part of being a replicant because Roy has empathy. Yes. But I would argue that Deckard does not. No, absolutely not. And he does everything that he can to stop himself from like feeling human emotions yeah. too. He kills with with no regard for them and that's i think part of why when an earlier when i was saying i liked how human they are because it makes it harder to watch mm-hmm. and it's not hard for deckard though no because he has no empathy um the way he treats rachel he yeah. has no empathy for her he treats her as a very literal object yeah i found it very interesting when he um comes back after rachel's just shot leroy leon leon when Rachel's just shot Leon and um, he like hands her alcohol and is like, did you just get the shakes? Yeah, I get those too. This yeah. is the only thing that kind of like takes yeah. them away. Like he doesn't really understand his own emotions. Yeah, that's a very um, like a hard boiled detective kind of thing, right? Yeah, like oh, I have the shakes after I have to murder somebody. Yeah. Also, I don't want to go to the book too much, but in the book, there's this one sequence, I guess, where... Deckard meets another Blade Runner. And this Blade Runner is very good at his job, but they've never heard of each other. And they're like, well, this is weird. How do we not know each other? And he, this other Blade Runner takes him to his precinct. And uh, Deckard soon realizes that it's all replicants. Everyone there is replicants. They have this whole other police force. And oh, so he's like hunting regular people? No. And then the Blade Runner has no idea that he himself is a replicant. Oh. And Deckard's like, well, who better to kill without any remorse or empathy than a replicant? Oh, see, I like I like this theory. And then Deckard, yeah, he he's just like that. But there are things that are, make it much more clear. For instance, remember that unicorn dream he has? Yeah, he he has that. And then the um, creepy mustache guy leaves him a unicorn in the hallway, almost as if. The creepy mustache guy, Edward James Olmos, is kind of his handler. Handler. In a way. And he's letting him know, like, 
I know your dreams, just like he, just like Deckard said to Rachel, remember when this happened, remember when this happened? Yeah. And he knows all of his, all of her memories, all of her dreams. Oh, see? So Edward James almost leaves that unicorn to say, hey, Deckard, like, I know. I know what you're thinking. I know everything because you're a replicant. You're going to run away. And when Deckard gets it, he picks it up, looks at it, just nods his head. Mm-hmm. Saying yes. Yeah. Crushes it and puts it in his pocket and walks off. Now that you say that, that actually makes a lot of sense. I didn't really understand the unicorn dream and like the symbolism that came along with it. And like, I didn't really get it. There is a lot of, um, there's other thought that it could be kind of, sh- this is showing that he is human. Right. Like maybe this, um, this unicorn dream is, uh, is a part of the collective unconscious. Mm-hmm. Who's the big collective unconscious guy? Is that Jung? I don't know. It's well. That's on our other podcast, Philosophy Talk. But um, <laughs> the collective unconscious being the idea that all humanity has kind of a shared background. That's why you see the same archetypes, the same stories popping up in lots of different cultures right. because we have something that is unconscious and inherent in all of us that makes us human. Mm. So maybe that this is kind of tipping its hat at. You no, know, they they have these shared experiences because mm-hmm. they're both human. Yeah. So I heard. Um, Harrison Ford says, like, no, uh, he's not a replicant. He's a human. But oh, that... so Harrison Ford has, like, come out and said that? Yes. Oh. Which make, but that doesn't matter because his character thinks he's human. So, of course, Harrison Ford should think he's human. He can't play it like he's a replicant. Dun, dun, dun. But, um, <laughs> but Ridley Scott says straightforward, no, he's a replicant. Oh. The writer had my favorite answer ever for all of these sorts of things. Um, that's a very interesting question with a very boring answer. Interesting. Because if you were to say like, oh, he's a replicant, then you're like, oh, okay, well, that makes sense. You yeah. say, oh, he's a human. You're like, oh, that makes sense. But not knowing makes you question like all these other things I was talking about. Like, It makes you think about the movie a lot harder. Yeah. Who's the hero? Who's the villain? And maybe it's not saying that he's a replicant or that he's a human but it makes you think like well maybe what's so great about humans yeah what's so great about humanity we have these people who we know are replicants who have shown all sorts of empathy and compassion and intelligence which yeah. is why they're enslaved yeah so maybe it's it's not important whether he is or not and it's all about like well what's so great about humanity anyway oh i like that yeah i like that good movie huh good idea of a movie <laughs> <laughs> i'm still not a huge fan of the movie oh, um I, I really like the thought and the questions and the like the feelings that it invokes yeah it is a movie very much that i think maybe even you will like it more in time it's something that is kind of a it's kind of a slow burn you'll yeah. have these thoughts and you think about it for a while and then for me it was like later on i was like wow yeah that was that was really good because mm-hmm. maybe some of the things you don't like, like some slower paced shots, things like that, you you don't remember those as much. You remember mm-hmm. this this feeling of this expansive yet somehow still claustrophobic city. You remember all these philosophical things that it brings up and that's what stays with you a long time. And that's why I love Blade Runner. <laughs> I love it. Um, oh, she loves it. No, you heard it here. No, the love- end. <laughs> I enjoyed it good i'll take it i'll take it (laughs) i enjoyed it but i loved the conversation that we had after yeah it is a very fun movie to talk about it's a thinker yeah 
Do you have any other last thoughts before we go? I think everyone should go watch this. If you haven't, shame on you for making it all the way through the podcast without watching it. Yeah. Like, just go watch the movie. We give you a prequel so that you can, like, go watch the movie. (laughs) You should just go watch it. And now we're just going to shame you for a while. I'm excited for more of your picks. Oh, good. Yeah. Good. I'm glad. This is is very... uh, informative and i enjoyed hearing um all your thoughts about it so maybe not your favorite movie but you see why people would uh yes. why it's considered a classic no anyways. absolutely absolutely cool. and i mean like like this is another kind of not quite as popular as sixth sense whereas i knew like a couple of the things that happened in the movie and like quotes and that kind of thing mm-hmm. i feel like this is one that you hear quite a bit and maybe it's because there was the sequel that came out a right. couple years ago but i feel like i've always kind of known about blade runner yeah it's it's very influential. It's maybe more quietly influential than some other things, but but yeah, this this blending of genre, this um, uh, retro futurism, all yeah. those kinds of things have gotten very big since then. And uh, Blade Runner really really put a lot of those ideas on the map. Yeah. Well, thank you for making this movie number three. Yeah, that was that was fun. Thanks for for listening. And today's episode was sponsored by books. If you like reading, if you like writing, try a book. You can do both. So tune in next time for my pick. I'm very, very excited about it. You'll want to get your your dancing shoes and your white dress out. Oh. So you, too, can party oh, with us. Oh, is it us. those 28 dresses? So that one. Okay, I'm not I'm not gonna guess. Yeah, so uh next episode, Samantha's gonna tell me what we'll be watching for the episode after that. Yes. So uh make sure you come back and listen to that. It should be fun. Let's say fun. It'll be fun, right? There's a heavy question mark on that. Yeah. Um Better so be fun. if you wanna get in touch with us, you can email us at I love this, you should and the number two at gmail.com. Yeah, start uh, sending us some email and tweets and that kind of stuff. And I think once we start getting some more, we can start answering questions on, on the um, podcast. That'll be yes. fun. Yes. Oh, and speaking of tweeting, how can they tweet to us? Oh, uh, they can tweet at us at I-L-T-Y-S and the number two. Mm-hmm. Uh, and on Facebook, we're at I Love This You Should Too dash podcast. And our Instagram is the same as our Twitter. Oh, yeah. I-L-T-Y-S too. I'm not a, I'm not a Twitter guy, but I'll be all over the Instagram. Okay. Well, I'll see you on Instagram. See you on Instagram. And next time. Good night. Bye. Or good morning. I don't know. Or good morning. If you're like me and you listen to to podcasts as you're getting ready for work. Good morning. Good night. (laughs) Good day.